in July of 1961, uh, the Green Bay Packers had their first day of training camp, and everybody, what was on their minds was they had lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles the year before. They had lost it in overtime, not in overtime, I'm sorry, in the fourth quarter. They were ahead in the fourth quarter, and they just blew a lead. And so Vince Lombardi, that coach, famed coach, comes up in front of them with a pigskin in his right hand, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. Now, these are grown men. These are professionals. These, this is their life. And he's saying, this is a football. And that was the beginning of him going back to basics with them, the fundamentals of the game. What happened? The next seven years, the Green Bay Packers won five NFL championships. And, uh, of course, legendary Green Bay Packers. Going back to basics is so important. Lombardi knew that. And the apostle Peter knew that. Listen to what he says in 2 Peter. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and consider it right, as long as I am with you in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. That's what I'm going to try to do this morning. This, what I'm going to share with you is our basics. This is stirring you up by way of reminder. I'm not going to be sharing something with you that is new or novel or unusual. And yet, if we could do this, if we could actually, literally actually do it, it would transform our lives and I believe transform the world. What is it? Uh, Back in 1643... 121 theologians, they called them divines back in those days. I love that term, divines. Divine as a Westminster cat. And they started working on what we know now as the Westminster Confession and the catechisms. They finished in 1647. And many of you know the title of my sermon. You're going to think of that first question of the shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? Well, it says the answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the primary proof text of that, according to the divines, was this, and it's a verse from our uh, passage this morning. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And we're going to Kind of focus on that this morning. How do we glorify God? And why do we glorify God? So we're going to look first at how do we glorify God. We glorify God by really praying from our hearts as we prayed just a minute ago, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's putting him first. It is seeking his will above our own. And in in John 5, there's this amazing statement of Jesus. 
he says this. This is Jesus, the God the Son, but he says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father. That's supposed to be our heart statement. I'm not seeking my own will, but the will of my Father. But doesn't this just go against everything in human nature? I mean, the prayer of my heart, the honest prayer, is my kingdom come, (laughs) my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yet, we're called to something absolutely revolutionary. Not only goes against human nature, it goes against really the kind of the culture, kind of the, the world. Um, Paul Tripp, a well-known Christian author, said, the central falsehood of human culture in our day is that life is all about you. That's not the way, that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to something radical, revolutionary, countercultural, that it be all about him. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5. He died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Not live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What does that look like? What does it look like? What does a life look like that is lived, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? One, uh, back in Mark 12, a scribe came to Jesus and said, teacher, what is the primary commandment? What is the foremost commandment? And and y'all know this. Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, We could say you glorify God by loving God and by loving people. (laughs) I'm stirring you up by way of reminder, right? This is a football. Um, So we love God by obeying him, right? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we love people by serving them. Verse 24 in the passage this morning says, Wow, this is such a statement. Let no one seek his own good. What? Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Well, really, we could divide it up into two categories. We have neighbors who are believers and neighbors who are unbelievers, okay? And we're supposed to love both of those. Um, So we glorify God by loving our fellow believers. And one of the issues, and it addresses this in this passage, one of the issues in that day was the whole issue of meat sacrificed to idols. And there's a lot of depth there. I'm not going to go into that. But one that I can really relate to is this. Okay, you have meat that's sacrificed to idols, and you have other meat. The other meat was more expensive than the meat sacrificed to idols. Okay? So someone's looking at this and saying, idol is nothing. It doesn't, it's, it's something that was carved by somebody. 
that they stuck in their house and they said they sacrificed meat to it, what's the big deal? I'm going to save some money. Don't we like to save money? Okay? So you go to the grocery store. It's like this. You go to the grocery store and you see a nice ribeye, which I don't want to get you guys hungry too early, but a ribeye, $10. And then you see a yellow sticker on another that says $5, and then it has a statement, meat sacrificed to Tinkerbell. Okay? You're like, man, I'm going to get that. Some crazy person thought they were sacrificing it to Tinkerbell. But here's an issue. You have some people that say, I used to I used to worship Tinkerbell. I'm a Christian now, but you're going you're gonna to eat that? You're going to eat that kind of meat? And it would hurt their conscience. What's our attitude supposed to be? <laughs> That's your problem. I don't believe that stuff. That's your, you want to believe that crazy stuff? That's your problem. That's not supposed to be our attitude. Look at the attitude. It says in, uh, Paul says we're supposed to have in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. See, we're supposed to be willing to limit our freedom for the sake of others. And I like what Matthew Henry, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Matthew Henry. He he wrote this wonderful commentary on the Bible over 300 years ago. Charles Spurgeon loved it. Uh, Jonathan Edwards loved it. Uh, and it still is so, speaks to us today. But listen what he says. Our own humor or desire and appetite must not determine our practice, but the honor of God and the good and edification of the church. We should not so much consult our own pleasure and interest as the advancement of the kingdom of God among men. Paul put it this way in Galatians. He said, for you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Love your neighbor. What is love? You know, I think that's a, and just kind of in a little sidebar here on love for a second. What is love? Because I think it's one of the most misunderstood terms uh, today. Someone said, love is a feeling that you feel when you feel like you're going to get a feeling that you never felt before, okay? <laughs> love is not a feeling. It's not. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, it tells you what love is, and it's all verbs, not feelings. Yeah. It's something you do. Um, And I think the best one word synonym for love is the word give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So love is giving. And the New Testament makes it clear that we glorify God by loving other believers by giving to them. Now, we give them materially and spiritually, right? It says we're to teach one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, admonish one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, greet one another with a holy kiss. I mean, we're to give to one another and materially as well. 
but we also glorify God by loving unbelievers. Verses 32 and 33 of our passage, it says, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Such a powerful motivation in Paul's life. You know, when you read Romans chapters 9 through 11, he's talking about his people, the, the Jewish people, Israel. And, he's, and he's, he's talking about how most of them do not yet understand that Jesus himself is that Messiah. They do not trust in him. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 10. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is for their salvation. But he even goes further than that in chapter 9. He says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Here's what he's saying. If I could make a deal with God that I would lose my salvation so that the Jewish people would come to know Christ, I would do it. Whoa. Talk about love. Um, so we glorify God by praying for and pursuing the salvation of those who do not know Christ. You know, the early church was so much about this. The early church was... I mean, they loved, they, they glorified God. They loved God. They were willing to die for their belief in Jesus. They loved one another. Tertullian, the church father, said that, you know, he could imagine that, that unbelievers would say, my, look at their love for one another. But they also were very committed to reaching people for Christ. Verse 27 of our text, it says, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you. What's he talking about? These pagans, and they did all kinds. I mean, you know, this was not like, you know, your next door neighbors. These are like really raunchy, big time sinners, okay? They want to invite you over, go and eat anything set before you. And this is from Paul who talks about don't have anything to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness. This is the Apostle Paul who says, pursue sanctification. This is the Apostle Paul who talks about holiness. But he never envisioned that that holiness would cause us to separate ourselves, to disassociate ourselves from unbelievers. He envisioned us connecting with them. You know, Jesus got into a lot of trouble for this, right? Remember in Luke 19, he's going and he sees Zacchaeus, the, the tax, chief tax collector. Some of you may know, you know, you may have grown up in church or whatever, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? Yeah. And it sounds kind of cute, he sounds like a leprechaun or something, right? But Zacchaeus 
was not just a wee little man, he was a bad little man. Okay, he was. He was really bad. You know, tax collectors made their money. Number one, they were turncoats. They were working for the Romans who were occupying, you know, the, the, uh, Israel. So he was going against his own people, working for the Romans. But not only that, they would make their money. Uh, you know, you have a tax bill of $100, and he says, your tax bill is $300, and pocket $200 for himself. This is why these tax collectors got rich. Well, he was a chief tax collector. He was like a Bernie Madoff you could think of that, okay? Or a loan shark. Um, that's who Jesus said, I'm going to go to your house today. And it says in the text, when they saw that he was doing this, going to Zacchaeus' house, they began to grumble saying, he has gone to be guest with a man who is a sinner. You know, that could happen with you too. If you hang out with people, People say, look who's hanging out with. I thought they were a good Christian. But Jesus went on to say a couple verses later, love this verse, but the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's loving unbelievers. So we're called to love God, to love people, believers and unbelievers, but why? Why you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I would ask the question, why? And I think this is where we get it wrong a lot because a lot of people say, well, the reason why I'm seeking to glorify God, the reason why I go to church, the reason why I'm doing these things is so I'm hoping that one day I will be accepted into heaven, that, that God will look at me and say, you know, he's, he's, he's a good person, he is, um, I think he's, he's good enough. You see, a lot of people think that the way to heaven is the way of the stairs. Live a good life, be a good person, try your best. But the problem is those stairs are 10 million miles high. So we have to be humble enough to get off the stairs of effort and get into the elevator of Jesus Christ. See, he takes us up. We, we can't do it ourselves. Um, Titus 3.5 puts it so well. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy that he saves us. By his mercy. That's the way. It's kind of like this. Um, let's say this pen here is eternal life, okay? Now, the thing about eternal life is either you have it or you don't have it. And if you don't have it, you're going to do something to try to get it. Live a good life. Be a good person. You know, follow the, the first catechism question go to church, all that stuff. But the problem is every day we are also sinning. So we're actually getting further behind. But see, we don't get to heaven. We don't get eternal life by trying. We get it by trusting. What is trust? What is faith? Faith is the hand of a beggar reaching out to receive the gift of a king. And many years ago, this beggar reached out a very unworthy hand to receive that free gift of eternal life. I did not deserve it then, and I do not deserve it now, but I've got it because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. And now, see, the motive, for, the motive for the Christian life, the motive for seeking to glorify God is not to get to heaven. It's because I already have it. It is out of gratitude. 
It's out of gratitude um, that, we, that we do this. Um, <clears throat> first catechism question, what is the chief end of man? Chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, what's this enjoy him for everything? And John Piper has an interesting statement, and I like John Piper, and I think there's a lot of benefit from this statement. He says, we glorify God by, by enjoying him forever. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. We glorify God by seeing his beautiful attributes and just, just delighting in him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know? But there's something else about this glory, uh, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Harry Reeder, who was a pastor at uh, Briarwood uh, Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama, until he uh, passed away last year, he, he died in a car wreck. But he said something about this that I thought was so insightful. He said, the more you glorify God, the more you will enjoy him. Again, it's so counterintuitive. Stepping out, as we step out to do what God calls us to do, to love God, to love people, we find ourselves delighting in God all the more. In John 4, you remember the story of Jesus with a woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. And uh, his disciples went off to get something to eat, and I, yeah, I know they're hungry. And so he talks to this woman, and she comes to faith. And she, she's heading off to, to Sychar to tell the people what, uh, the Messiah. I think I've met the Messiah. And the disciples come back, and uh, they said, we got the food. And Jesus said, oh, I have food to eat you don't know anything about. And it's like, where did he get food? Who got him food? And he said, he said, let me explain here. Listen to this. This is so awesome. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, I think about that ribeye for a minute. Uh, I mean, that's one of my favorites, okay? So it tastes good. It, 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 it satisfies your hunger. It energizes you. If you haven't been eating for a while, you're going to get tired and hungry and, and weak. That's what, that's what doing his will does for us as Christians, Again, we get it wrong. I want to be energized, and then I'll do his will. He said, step out in faith and do my will, and you're going to be energized. It's so, you know, I do counseling as well. I've done, it's something I do as retired minister. I did it in the ministry, of course, but um, it's such a joy for me. And what's been amazing to me is when people start to get this, um, and they say, and I say, look... <clears throat> You have all these issues, but I want you to get up tomorrow morning. I want you to think about glorifying God. I want you to think about serving God and serving people. But I don't, I don't feel, I, I'm depressed. I, don't, I want you to think about this. How it almost is magical, the, the healing results that, that happen in people's lives when they begin to do it. It's so curative. There's a book about, and one of the things is fear of man, like, you know, anxiety, fear of man um, that we can have. There's a book by Ed Welch entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. Isn't that the problem? 
People are so big to me, I think if they disapprove of me, what's... Well, you know the problem there? It's not to say, I don't care about people, I don't care, you know, we don't want to become a sociopath, okay? But, the, but to, to so much care about God and what he thinks that people are smaller. When people are big and God is small, and as Jesus said, he, um, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And I think that so much of our culture and, our, of course, our human nature is all about saving our lives. And Jesus calls us to something radically different, to lose it. So I'm going to close this out by being like Vince Lombardi, okay? This is a football, okay, the basics. And, and I learned this a few years back, but I, I have such trouble doing it. And here it is, okay? You want joy? J-O-Y, okay? You guys know this, I'm sure a lot of Jesus first, others second, yourself last. So revolutionary. Jesus first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Charles Spurgeon said, Jesus never said, seek his kingdom. He said, seek his kingdom first. First, first. Second, others second. Verse 32 and 33. I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many. Others second. And loving and serving uh, believers and unbelievers, and then yourself last. So difficult. Here's this quote by Paul Washer that just really struck me recently. He said, You were made for God. You weren't made for you. You weren't made for your best life now. You weren't made for some self-realization. You were made for Christ, for Christ alone. You were made to discover him, to know him, to find his will, and to obey it with all your heart. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We know that. It's good Presbyterians, I know that, I know the, you know. But I think here's another, maybe more important question. Will we do it? Okay? John, uh, Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, okay, there's a wise man built his house upon the rock, foolish man built his house upon the sand. When I read the basic meaning of that, Jesus said this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. He is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Will we, will, we act, will we go out today and start acting on that? Will I do that? If not, guess what? I'm a fool who's building his life on sand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the free gift of eternal life. And out of gratitude for that, and out of the sense of wisdom, Father, help me, help us to live the joy way. Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last. We pray it in Jesus' name.